You're listening to the Business Made Simple podcast with Donald Miller and Dr. J.J. Peterson. We went up to the state capitol and interviewed Governor Bill Lee. We didn't talk to him much about politics. We actually talked to him about education. Because before he was governor, he had a $300 million HVAC company, and he realized that he couldn't find a workforce that was capable of doing what he needed to do. So he started Lee University, literally started a school at his company that people could go to, and he equipped them to to actually provide value to customers, and that turned into a $300 million company. I had a great conversation. I was really honored, quite honestly, to, to meet with Governor Lee. We would talk about how to grow a business by educating the workforce and what to do with the people in a culture who've fallen out the bottom. How do you get them back? How do you get them back? Here's my conversation with Governor Lee. You have a unique uh, perspective on education because I know a little bit that uh, you ran Lee Company before you were governor, and you guys started fixing air conditioners, and then you went into building maintenance and became a multi-hundred million dollar organization. But the problem was you were having trouble finding an educated workforce. And so all of a sudden, you're just trying to grow a company, and you're realizing, you're realizing you need to become the president of a school somehow. And uh, I'm curious, just tell me about that journey and what opened your eyes to what was going on in education as it relates to economic opportunity and meaningful work. So I've got to give my grandfather credit. He started Lee Company. Okay. And then my father and uncle. And so it's a 75-year-old company. But I did take it over and grow it from a, about a $20 million business to, to uh, it's today it's about a $300 million business. And I'm not involved in it anymore since I became governor. But when I was there and working, we did struggle to find enough skilled workers. You know, we we are plumbers and pipe fitters and welders and electricians and HVAC technicians. I have a master plumber's license myself. And there aren't enough of those types of folks out there. There aren't enough people being taught the trades. There aren't enough. And, and the trades isn't just the, aren't just the ones that I'm familiar with, but uh, there are dozens of trades that are in desperate need of a next generation of workers. So we saw that. And probably 15 years ago, we started something called Lee Company University, a training grounds and a school for skills within our company. And we we put a thousand people through that program and uh, while I was there. And we did so because we knew that we had to train our own workers if we were gonna have skilled workers. When I became governor, you know, I decided that that was going to be one of the first things I did was look over our education system and find the gaps. What we know is that there are a lot of children out there who are gifted in the way their brain connects to their hands and their ability to learn things from a skill level that a lot of kids don't have, that that ability is not there for them. But our education system does very little to provide a pathway for those kids and to actually have a, an opportunity for them to find success in the things that they love. So I say we ought to change that. And we ought to change the way high school looks. We ought to change the pathways to success because actually the goal of education is, is to have a successful life and a meaningful career. Uh, we ought to make our schools reflect that. You, you sound like Sir Ken Robinson. I don't know if you've, you've heard, read his book or seen his TED Talks, like the number, I don't know, way up there mm-hmm. on the TED Talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he really is an education reform advocate. And he would basically say, you know, everybody has a kind of genius and most of our school systems are actually teaching you, and this sounds dismissive, but to be more of a cog in a wheel in an existing sort of corporate institution. And it's not actually doing a very good job finding those geniuses. And, and, and I want to come back and say, you know, he talks a lot about art and creating music and those kinds of things. And, and that's super important as well. But when you talk about meaningful employment with HVAC repair people, you're actually talking about, I don't want to lead people to believe that these are not high paying jobs. These are high paying good jobs that you can, you can support a family. Absolutely. And, and send your kids to a great school. I mean, these are, you know, hundred fifty some of these hundred fifty thousand dollar jobs, and they're jobs that are that there there's high demand for, and those jobs lead to other opportunities for people as well. So yes, they're high paying jobs, but they're also jobs that have a great deal of opportunity. You know what? Most importantly, they're jobs that somebody loves to do. Yeah. You know, one of my we started something called the Governor's Investment in Vocational Education Act. We passed it. I brought forth the legislation. It gives million dollar grants to high schools that have. Uh, that that have needs for a vocational, technical, agricultural program. Uh, they pursue these grants. We gave out 25 of them the first year I came in office. So I went and visited these schools after they would get a grant and build out a program and fill up their program with kids. And I look in the eyes of some of these kids who maybe for the first time are actually excited about what they're learning in school. And here's the governor standing there in their, you know, welding shop saying, this is valid, important, you are skilled, we need you in in this state and in your community, especially if they're living in a rural community, if we want our rural economies to, to thrive. So there's a real need for this, and we should change the way we do it. So to add to that, and, I'll, and then I'll, I'll stop on this, but we've got so many kids in high school now in our state that are following this pathway in the last few years that we have a 10,000-person waiting list in our Colleges of Applied Technology, which is really the next step, the post-secondary two-year certificates right. and and uh, technical degrees. Is that because there are not enough schools that exist to meet the need? Well, that we, we have a quite a variety of Colleges of Applied Technology. they just a lot of kids that want to go that direction. Now, we've been yeah. talking a lot about it a lot in the state. So we're investing $80 million this year's budget cycle to remove that waiting list so we can get more young people. And to be honest, some of these are, uh, you know, adults coming back to school, but more people into these fields so we can um, develop the workforce. It seems like there needs to be a paradigm shift about what meaningful work is and that we need to stop thinking about white collar finance jobs as the only way, as as the top of the pyramid on meaningful work. And I think that that is changing, certainly nationally. I mean, when IBM and Google don't require a college degree to go to work for them right. anymore, you, you're realizing that uh, this is a different world and, and that work is much more diverse than it ever had been. When you, when you see kids that can learn to code and go straight into a high-paying job without going through college— and, and incurring, let's talk about that, yeah, but incurring yeah. college debt. You've got debt. And, and then not being able to buy a home because you've got college debt. So getting behind on the equity where most Americans build wealth. The other, the other thing that we got to remember is, you know, there's real dignity in work. I, I've worked a lot with in the criminal justice reform space and in reentering men into society from incarceration. And when people get a job, 
and start to provide for their children or they can feed their family or they can pay off their, you know, the, the debts that they have, whatever it is. I have watched men in particular, because that's I worked in a prison ministry for many years. I've watched men suddenly recognize dignity in their life and feel like they were somebody of value and importance. And a lot of these guys are, especially if they've been incarcerated, there's a lot of shame. And yeah. uh, so there's there's dignity with work too. We've got to remember that. So when we find, when we give pathways for young people through the education system to pursue something that they really enjoy and that is validated as being important, you're, you're bringing dignity into their life. It's also healing to our souls, healing to us as human beings yeah. to actually be able to contribute and given opportunities to contribute. And when we don't, uh, people can easily, partly because of their decisions, in fact, mostly because of their decisions, but also because they weren't provided opportunities, they can end up in prison. I want to know what drew you to the men in those prisons. What, why did you ha- feel a kindred spirit with them? Yeah. So I have a life story that sort of led me into working more intentionally in ministry. I when I was 40 years old, my first wife was killed in an accident, and mm-hmm. I had four young kids, and it certainly turned my life upside down. So it was tragic season, but very transformative. It caused me to look at my life differently, the brevity of life, the value of the things I'm doing, the things that are of no value, you know, I ought to stop doing. And I got more engaged, more purposefully engaged in things that seemed to matter besides my work, which was very, very important to me in my business. But then I got involved in nonprofits close to home as well. And one of them was a prison ministry called Men of Valor. And they have an incredibly successful program with regard to recidivism. You know, the the folks that go through their program don't go back to prison. And um, so I got involved that way. I, I mentored men coming out of prison, a couple in particular. And, you know, if you spend enough time sitting and talking to men in prison, what you find out is that there are many, however, who have drug, who had drug issues, mental health issues, who made some bad mistakes in their life, but are good men who justifiably want to turn their lives around and who want to have a second opportunity at that. And if we just would give them that opportunity and walk alongside them with it, then we can have some really good results. We just passed two significant pieces of legislation. I was going to ask you yeah. about those. Because yeah, that, one's that called was a the big deal. Big deal. Very hard to get done. Very complicated. Uh, and normally, this is criminal justice criminal justice reform, reform legislation. legislation. When you reduce recidivism, which is the return rate to prison, you you eliminate the number of incarcerated individuals. Half of the people in this state right now, well, first statistic is 95% of everyone sitting in a jail jail cell is going to come out. They all get out, and except for those on life sentence, and there's very few of those. And they're all coming out into our neighborhoods. And right now, 50% of those people, after they get out, will recommit a crime and go back to prison. Another victim, another crime. So if we reduce that recidivism rate, which uh, can be done because I've seen that, it done. That's hundreds of millions of dollars Hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Lives wow. changed, Thousands. children's lives restored. If we can develop a strategy that makes them more successful when they get out and not recommit crimes, we will absolutely lower the crime rate. So, for example, if someone's going to be in prison for 10 years, 
and then walk out the door with nothing to assist them, which is what happens frequently in our system as it is now. We can back that sentence off one year. They walk out the door after nine years with intense supervision for one year that allows them to find a job, get training, go through drug treatment or through addiction treatment, you know, intense supervision for a year, but they're out for that year. So they're transitioning with guardrails. And when we do that, the success rate is much better for those folks. They want to be successful, but you just walk out the back door of a prison after sitting there for 10 years, you have no idea how to be successful. Right. And, and so, you feel like the world has left you behind yeah. and you feel some shame yep. and, and so forth. And so it's on. hard to get, so back to work. It's also well, very hard to get a job. Oftentimes, part of what we did in this legislation was begin the process of making it easier to hire the formerly incarcerated in the state of Tennessee. You're incentivizing taking a yep. chance on this yep. person. We say, you know what, we need you. I, you'll love the story. I spent three hours at a barbecue place in Atlanta called Das Barbecue. And the owner is an ex-con. And he, he hires a good number of people out of it. It's part of his ministry mm -hmm. is to help these people reform. They are franchising. They've got two locations now. Their next one, they want to be in, in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I say this because right now you're talking to 100,000 small business owners. That's yeah, who this audience that's is. That's right. The school that these offenders are, you know, hate even calling them that. They're, they're really heroic in the sense they're turning their lives around. But the school that they're going to is called Das Barbecue. And I think we need to, a little bit as small business owners, rethink what we're doing. If we can actually say, look, we're here to provide value for customers and also educate people on how to provide value to customers and somehow redeem their lives. You get a beautiful story with it. At least as Doss Barbecue, they get the best barbecue I've ever tasted. And you know, spending a day there I almost drove away in tears because these people are doing meaningful work. Speak to that idea that, that we started with, that you actually turned your $300 million business and you literally called it a university. Yeah. You know, uh, so much about that story, you're at Doss Barbecue that I love to hear. First of all, you have workers, and I employed formerly incarcerated individuals at, at our company. We've had a history of employing those men from different programs in the city. When you give someone a second chance, they're incredibly grateful. I mean, they have, they turn out sometimes to be the most devoted employees. Yeah. Now, you take a risk, but you know what? You take a risk with every single person that you employ that walks in off the street. Yeah, and, and if you've had someone who's gone through a program and been vetted and has is, is expressed a desire, you know, you you might actually have eliminated a whole lot of the risk that you that you take from from hiring. The, the other thing, not only you get really oftentimes really great workers, but it is meaningful for the employer. Like most every one of your small business owners out there, they don't just want to make a dollar. Hey, I ran a business 25 years. You got to make a profit. That's the, you know, that's a major goal because that's how you run for 25 more years. But meanwhile, our mission statement at our company was we, we exist to create an environment where our employees can thrive. Hmm. And I think People thrive when they feel like their work has value and purpose and meaning and that their life is about something beyond just kind of making a paycheck. Business owners want to have companies that are 
doing purposeful work. And it's an incredible way to do it. The other thing, now that I'm now that I've gone from business guy to government guy, the government is not the answer to the greatest challenges that our nation faces. And government can't solve this problem of a criminal justice reform and and the parts that the private sector and nonprofits can do. This men of valor I talked about earlier, they're the ones who came up with this remarkable idea that we want to facilitate in our prison system. DOS is a perfect example of how the private sector can complete the journey that government can start. We can create an environment, but it takes the people to solve the problems. And and the way this reentry piece is going to be solved in America is you got to have business people step up and say, hey, I'm willing to give a guy a second chance or give a girl a second chance. And, and let's see how this works. And it's surprising how well it often does. It's working really well for a number of companies. Yep. We interact with a lot yep. of people listening. Yep. Governor Lee, thanks for your time today. Great privilege to be here. Enjoyed it very much. Closing thought today is not about education or prison reform or politics. It's about tragedy. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Joseph did not have it easy. Uh, he, he, he didn't go to Harvard Business and then intern with the Supreme Court and then end up in, in the Pharaoh's court. Um, he actually was imprisoned. He was cast aside by his family, left in a well to die, thrown in a well to die, thrown in prison. And uh, he came before Pharaoh because he was able to, to translate some dreams, it turns out, and Pharaoh found that useful. And then he kind of started liking the guy. Then he found him wise. And then he found that he could actually lead. And um, he ends up second in command. I, I couldn't help think when Governor Lee was talking about how many people I've met, men and women, who've experienced extreme tragedy. And so that got me thinking about you and me and the hard things that we've had to encounter in life. And maybe, maybe some of us haven't leverage that unbearable, awful pain that we wouldn't wish on anybody to turn it into uh, a source of empathy, a source of kindness, uh, a source maybe of determination, a source of wisdom, knowing that we don't have long on this planet and, and we're not doing it ourselves or anybody else any good just by serving ourselves. Maybe we haven't leveraged our pain and turned it into something positive. Kudos to Governor Lee for doing that and leading the way. He's in the long line of exceptional human beings that I think God has used to care for others because they've experienced pain themselves. That's good leadership. That's good leadership. Something to learn there. Thank you again for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you understand what's wrong with your business, and we show you how to fix it. I'll see you again next week. If you got something out of today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then go to businessmadesimple.com to see how our on-demand courses and live coaching events can give you the practical skills you need so you won't just sound like you understand business, you will actually know how a business works and how to grow it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.